Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the question. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us. This is how podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating or a positive raving review, um, please do so. Um, follow us on Twitter at, at @clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a handsome fellow and a priest. Chris, how are you? Kirk, I'm great. Do you know why? Um, because it's a Thursday, because it's it fall, because it's cool weather. I don't know. Tell me. I mean, all those things. Plus, it is one of my nephew's birthday today. Oh, yes. It is Simon, Kelvin. I'm sorry, Simon. Philip Haberman's. <laughs> did I just give away? Uh, did I just like dox him? Uh, do you want to bleep his middle name? It's Simon Haberman's birthday. Bleep. Happy birthday, Simon. Mm. It is his birthday. He's very excited. He, uh, in haste, um, used some lawn mowing money. Uh from from last week to order some ram um and i think he just like grabbed the cheapest thing he saw on amazon and right now he's coming to terms with the fact that it doesn't actually fit into his computer <laughs> so i asked him i'm like uh simon what did you how how did you determine you know, <laughs> what 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 ram sticks to buy he's like uh uh <laughs> so so, I mean, so, I sympathize. I sympathize with him. Like, you know, what, why isn't this stuff standardized? Right. Yeah. So his self-appointed birthday present, he, he'll probably have to return and we'll have to try again. And that's not the first time that's happened because, I don't know, PC world. I live in Macland. I live in yeah. Apple land. And I didn't even know this was a thing anymore. I didn't even know that that people took apart the computers and jammed more RAM. And I mean, I yeah. I remember when we did it growing up that right uh, the first uh, PC that our computer that our household had. I mean, the first Windows PC, Windows three point one. Um, I remember when we doubled our RAM from four megabytes right to eight megabytes of RAM. That was and an I, impressive leap. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. so I think I picture this is how I picture Windows land. Knowing nothing okay, about okay, anything okay. about nothing. This Kirk, is how I picture I, I just, it. I just want to say this about the four to eight is that not only was it megabytes, but these were in like each individual megabyte of RAM was its own like port. It was like chunk one, chunk right. two. It wasn't like an eight gig or a four, uh, it wasn't sorry, a, a four megabyte. It's weird to even say megabyte. It's, but um, it wasn't like it was chunks of four. It was four individual ones in there. And we added four. Crazy. And and this at this point this would have been like the early '90s, 
early to mid 90s. And this computer was running, I think, something called Windows 3.1. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So. But go on. You were going to say. So I picture, um, you know how um, in sort of uh, dystopian uh, science fiction movies, there's always the um, kind of the edge of the city or the dark urban area that um, where, where, where law and order really isn't enforced. Um, and you've got like enterprising young men who are just kind of um, able to like hack into the mainframe with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And um, like they, they're like they're welding stuff and they're rewiring stuff and, 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 and they kind of have to make it work. That's how I picture Windows Land, like when you're buying, I, I, I don't know. Ram, again, it's funny to me that you can still buy RAM, like whatever. So you'd, I mean, you'd, you'd go to the kind of the edge of the civilization and someone would offer you some death sticks and you'd have to turn them down and tell them right. they should make better life choices. Um, and then you'd find somebody who would kind of sell it to you on, right. on the, yeah. Well, he tried to buy, he tried to buy um, some, some earlier at a kind of a local shop. But um, but uh, the guy said, your Imperial credits are no good here. No. <laughs> I think something like that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We've got too many prequel references here. <laughs> yes. You started it. You started it last week, sir. So, so um, Kirk, what, what are the family uh, traditions for birthdays? Uh, the what's what's going to happen? The, the birthday boy or the birthday girl gets to choose uh, the birthday dinner. And okay. oftentimes uh, they want pizza or hock and tacos, right? Chicken nuggets. Remember, I mean, this is this is high French cuisine with some of our children, right? Well, Simon wants to go to Eaton Park, so tonight we're going to go to Eaton Park. Um, so and you if park, park if your you, car and then you get to eat. Is that or eat, sorry, wrong order? Eat then you park you your eat, car and then you park, right? Yeah. And and I remember. Uh, so if you're from Pittsburgh, you know what this is. If you're not from Pittsburgh. It, it 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 sounds it sounds really stupid. I remember <laughs> arriving in college, Christopher, and and hearing about this place, and uh, my classmates just spoke with re with reverence in their voice. They loved everybody loved Eaton Park, and I was just I was really hung up on the name. I'm like, wait, so explain <laughs> this to me. And they would look at me with sort of <laughs> incomprehension, uh, like, what what do you mean? It's it's Eaton Park. I'm like, I, but I don't get it. So they you wake. What you roll in when you're eating and then or what like they give you food in the window and then you park and then you walk in with the food like i i was really hung up on the sequencing and and i think you just need to grow up with it and um and not think about it and uh, otherwise like i still smile when i say it it still sounds kind of dumb but now now it's my children love it so uh how would we describe it to non-pittsburghers uh it's denny's yeah yeah, it's like Yinzer Denny's. It's Yinzer Denny's. Yinzer Denny's. Yeah. 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 So that's so that's it's all. It's always open. You can always get kind of okay food there. Yeah, and I was just checking the menu because I was worried. It has kind of, I I am so naive, Christopher. I continue to get inflation shock, and I'm oh, like yeah. just way oh. too hung up on the prices of everything. My problem is I remember what prices were two years ago, right? And I, I know what the price of everything was. You know what they say, Kirk? It's not 2019 anymore. Ah, oh, yeah. That's, I, that's, I that's what they always time. say. Uh, so uh, we have a birthday in our household on Tuesday of yes. next week. Um, my daughter's birthday. I Yay. won't dox her. 
Yeah. So she will be, I'm not going to say how old she's be turning uh, because I don't want to dox her. Um, so don't open up credit cards in her name. I won't say her social security number, but uh, this weekend there uh, it's going to be a girls ladies trip to the twin cities to celebrate uh, Jordan's birthday. So oh, we're, Jordan, uh, what's Maria on the and Mama. agenda? It'll be interesting uh, because I'm not going and uh, we'll see what they end up doing so they've talked about many things but i could see them kind of reducing it uh, i've encouraged them to i've encouraged meg to to do some of the things that jordan requests but then to also include some things that uh she will love but doesn't know that she will love you know so like the things that are on jordan's list are things that we've done before and they're right. fine right like she wants to go to the mall of america and ride the rides and you know eat it uh shake shack because they have good burgers at shake shack okay and what else did she request she wants to go to the i mean it's things that they even at the mall of america that we've done before like she wants to go to the m&m store and get a package of m&ms that's have you ever you gotten her customize them juicy lucy no but i mean that would be something to do yeah. so they're, they're i mean they've talked about going to the walker art center to the sculpture yeah. garden with the spoon and the cherry um they've talked about going to minnehaha falls um you know, if they're gonna do yeah. rides, I was like, I was like, how about Valley Fair? Like, is that still you know? open? Yeah, yeah. They, it's it's like a Halloween themed this month. Okay. Um, okay. So so uh, I mean, they're tall buildings. You can go up to the top. And when we were in New York City, we did not go to the top of any tall buildings. I'm like, yeah, you, you could do that in Minneapolis. Um, so We've never I mean, done a, that. I've never done. I've that. never done that. I've never gone to the top of a tall building. So I mean, that that would be an option. There are a million things they could do that would be. Uh, super fun. So I just, I, I just hope that they don't just do the kind of the things that um, I think even like the Minneapolis Arts Arts Institute, uh, uh, free art museum. It's great, right? The um, I mean, you and I grew up because of our grandmother, um, constantly going to the uh, was it the Science Museum, right? Mm -hmm, In St. Mm -hmm. Paul, um, and that was that was a a, a favorite. So uh, Christopher, do you, two things about Minneapolis. Do do you know what a Juicy Lucy is? Of course. Yeah, I've never had one. So, I haven't had one. And and there, there's argument over who invented it. Is it Matt's and some other place? Right. There are two different places that have it, but they spell it differently. And so there is. No, there's, there's two different. There's more than two places that have it. But okay. two places argue about being the yes, original. Yes, that's what it is. So the concept is, is yeah, you, you have like this big block of cheddar cheese in the middle of the burger, right? So it's a cheeseburger. And the idea is to give you third degree burns yes, once you bite in. Flaming hot molten cheese, yes. <laughs> uh, but but I love that they use real cheddar, right? I mean, I like I'm fine with American on a burger, but like real cheddar is better. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to say was, so do you remember when we were kids? And this was still even too old for us, but like our parents were able to explain it to us, right? The Mary Tyler Moore statue in Minneapolis, uh, where uh, the iconic intro to the Mary Tyler Moore show uh, from the 1970s, there'd be, which took place ostensibly in Minneapolis, though it was filmed, I'm guessing, in, in Los Angeles. Um, there's this moment where she throws her hat up in the air on a street corner, right? And there was this statue on, the, uh, on that particular street corner of her tossing her hat up in the air, right? And, and everybody loved it until a couple of years ago when people kept being asked, what is that? <laughs> Nobody knows anymore. And so I think sheepishly, three or four or five years ago, 
the city of Minneapolis removed the Mary did Tyler they, Moore statue. Did they really? Yes. Nobody knows what it is. Yeah. Enough, enough millennials and zoomers were like, what, what is that? And so it got removed. Mm. Yeah. So she can't see it. That's what I'm saying. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Chris's daughter. You can't, you can't see it. Happy birthday. From your generation. So that's, I'm waiting that's, for you to turn that into a segue to our gospel. <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 no. There wasn't, there wasn't a segue. I was, there wasn't I'm, I'm a segue. waiting. I'm waiting. No, I'm using awkwardness as a comedic technique <laughs> unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. But Christopher, we have a, a lovely gospel that you always like to talk about. You are quite persistent, quite adamant. You always bring this up. I feel. I do. And our gospel lesson this week comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to him, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Kirk, there are, are bits of this gospel that are very straightforward. Uh, we get a topic here in verse one. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Uh, Kirk, what's the topic of this parable? Um, the topic is persistence. Yes, that they ought always to pray right. and not lose heart. Right. And uh, it does tie together uh, with the chapter before. We're not like, remember that these chapter divisions are artificial. They were added much later. Um, Luke certainly didn't divide up what came before and what, what came after. Um, and uh, so he tells the story of a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So let's not hold up this judge as God. Um, this is a bad judge, uh, and he is, uh, it was the responsibility of judges in that day. There were not trial, um, uh, there were not juries. Um, judges ruled, and um, in those days, um, the law, remember, was um, we, Kirk. I mean, when we talk about uh, the law in the New Testament, sometimes we're talking about the law itself, and sometimes we're talking about that fence around the law. Things that are not actually in the law, but that um, 
in a desire by uh, the Pharisees and others to be righteous um, and not come close to breaking the law, they built a fence around the law so that it wouldn't come clear to it. Mm-hmm. The problem is that in doing so, they lost sight of the purpose of the law. And so when uh, I'm trying to think, when Jesus told the man to, to pick up his mat and walk, and uh, the, the Pharisees were furious that he was working, that he was walking on the Sabbath, um, totally neglecting the fact that this man's uh, legs had been restored. Uh, you know, the fact like they they were outraged at the at the seeming breaking of the law rather than the fact that that the, Jesus came to heal and restore. And um, same thing with the disciples breaking off the heads of grain on the Sabbath. Um, they, they didn't like that. And they didn't seem to understand um, what was behind the law. And uh, so let's not ever get in a place, Kirk, where we think the the. What's uh what's the term I'm thinking of where what's the the heresy that talks about God being different in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Marcionism. Marcionism. Let's yep. not be Marcionites who are like, well, there's the law that was kind of mean and bad. No, the law was never bad. The law was good. And the law had provision for widows and orphans, right? Mm. And so yes. a widow would, would go to a judge and would seek justice. Um and uh, would ho- hopefully expect it. Uh, th- but unfortunately, this judge did not fear God nor respect man. So he did not give this widow justice. So this judge this judge is a bad man. And yet, because of her persistence, he gave in. Okay? Yes. And the Lord said, now hear what this unrighteous judge says. Verse seven is the key to understanding this. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Uh, I'd imagine, Kirk, this evokes several uh, uh, scripture references for you, or maybe one one in particular. Uh, what what part? The uh, crying day and night. Um, the in in um. Well, if it, Isaiah, if, a bad, if the if, throne no, if, room scene in Isaiah. Okay. Where the cherubim and seraphim continually do cry, or not that? <laughs> uh, I, I, Am I, I was going more in like, the wrong direction? I was more like the contrast between bad and 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 good. Like, I mean, if this unrighteous judge gives justice to her um, because of her persistence, how much more will you know your God give to His people? Does that evoke something for you? Ah, uh, man, I'm sorry. Okay, you're, that's all right. You're setting me up, and I'm not. I'm not. I'll tell you where my brain tell goes. Tell me. Tell me. So my brain goes to Matthew, to the Sermon on the Mount, um, where we talk about God's provision. Matthew chapter 7. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? When your child asks for bread, do you give him a rock? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, in Matthew 12, uh, he says, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Um, and uh, so Luke, of course, has some of the same teachings. Um, you know, we've talked before about harmonizing the Gospels and like, um, did Jesus give these uh, uh, like there's explanations for w- when Luke might have the same words. Uh, was this a separate teaching or was his explanation of the place where it happened? Just uh, a different perspective on on the place. So like the Sermon on the Mount with uh, is in Matthew and we have what's called the Sermon on the Plain. Um, in Luke, where um, Luke's version in Luke 11 says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Um, and then he goes on to say, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? Um, so we see this repeated that if if um, we see it's, it's this argument from the lesser to the greater, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so if this judge will give this judge who does not fear God nor respect man, if he gives justice because of the persistence of the widow, how much more so will God answer your prayers? God who loves you and cares for you and wants. We pray for things that God already wants to do. And so this is a, a, um, a this is just, Kirk, it's one thing to know something uh, as it like in your head. And it's another to know it in your heart. And that's why we're, we're given kind of these images, um, these uh, parables, um, why we see repetition in scripture that like you and I know that, that God answers prayer, that God cares about us and God listens. And yet it's easy for us to become discouraged and to not continue in prayer and not to and not be persistent. And so uh, it's good for us to read this every third year um, to, that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. And Kirk, I've been really convicted and, th and thinking deeply about this recently as I I was reading um, uh, a scholar's uh, work on First um, Timothy, where um, we talk about Jesus being our mediator and advocate and and uh, and he thought about like and there's something else in that in in First Timothy, I think it's chapter two, um, something else in that uh, about prayer and persistent prayer and prayer for all things that uh, this this particular scholar talked about visiting a parish. I may have said this on the podcast, but I'll say it again. He talked about visiting a parish where um, uh, the intercessory prayer time during the, the church service was about a minute long and it involved praying for like the sick person in the, in the congregation and maybe for like, it was all like small things within the congregation, you know, things that we ought to bring to the Lord. But he just wondered, he said, uh, all the, the, the prayers were so small that no one was praying for justice in the world, for a cease um, to war, right? And he said, I wonder how much uh, more justice we would see in the world. How, how, how many times do we see justice denied? Because we Christians, we the church, are not in constant prayer for it. And so this is just another um, kind of call to us to be faithful in prayer and um that that prayer is in fact part of our faith our ongoing walk with god is to go to him um uh with many things uh and of course um as i i teach my kids and anytime i teach the kids at church i'm i'm sort of also teaching the the adults <laughs> um and uh, when i teach the kids about the 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 four general forms of prayer, the ACTS, the adoration, we adore God in prayer, that our prayers aren't just asking for things. God, please do this. Uh, our prayers would kind of be a little bit empty if, if they were merely that. And our model for prayer is more than just asking um, supplications for things. But so we adore him. We confess our sins. C, A-C. We give thanks, thanksgiving. Um, uh, that ought to be a big part of our prayer life. But then we also ask uh, supplications, like we ask him to, to act in the world. And so um, that's a, a mark of what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is to um, be in constant prayer. When we read, uh, Kirk, I don't know if you've been struck by the uh, the opening to Paul's letters as, as we've been walking through 
um, Colossians and the Timothys. And what else have we been in? Me, were we in? We, we've been in, we've been walking through Paul's uh, Timothy, letters. We just finished what Timothy and first Timothy, now and now we're, we're in second Timothy. Right. But he, he, he opens yeah. these letters um, talking about his prayers for that particular person in, in the case of Timothy or that congregation. Um, uh, just to give you an example. So you don't think I'm lying. <laughs> Actually, that's just buying me time to look it up. Um, so Paul, an apostle to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, blah, 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 blah. Verse three, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that you may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God to give a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. These four verses here, Kirk, at the beginning of this are his prayer. Thank yeah. God, thank you for this faithful generational faith that has been passed on from Lois to Eunice and to Timothy and that dwells in Timothy today. Um, and, and yet there's an exhortation, fan into flame this gift of God. Right. Which is in you through the laying on of hands. How do we fan that into flame? Through prayer. You know, like like this this is um there's no more active way of fanning into flame this 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 gift of faith than to per be persistent in prayer. And I remember Colossians, uh, which we read, um, that opened uh in in a similar uh way as well, where he gives thanks for the I mean, sometimes it's like before I actually tell you what I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you my prayers for you. So verse three of Colossians uh, chapter one, we always thank God and we as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So now Paul and Timothy are writing to the church in Colossae. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And then he goes on to explain more of his prayer. Kirk, we see that prayer is integral in in this life uh, of, of a Christian. And so we see in the last verse of today's gospel, um, it, it, again, here's like an odd verse because uh, it's, it's kind of two different things happening in verse eight. The first half, I tell you, he will, assurance that he will give justice to them speedily. But then we end with a question. It's interesting. Right. Never, nevertheless. I was wondering if you were going to notice that, but of course you did. Son of, well, it's, Hopefully you're seeing the connection. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? I'm trying to make the connection between prayer and faith. Like what faith looks like to trust in, in the Lord um, means uh, like what that, the picture we're given of what that looks like is persistence in prayer. So he tells them this parable that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He tells them the parable. <laughs> That e that from the and argues from the lesser to the greater. That's saying if this judge is going to give justice to a woman who bugs him about it, how much more so will will God, um, who cares about you, um, how much and will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Well, there's an assumption there that they cry to Him day and night, and uh, your um, 
your uh, reference to Isaiah reminds me of the lyrics to Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of Creation. Because uh, there's a reference to that, right? Um, I'm trying to... I am sluggish today. Every time <laughs> you ask me about a reference, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, what uh what what no, you think? I I'm sorry, I'm thinking of crown him with many crowns. Oh, okay, all right. Um, and it's something about day and night. Um yeah. well, crown him with many crowns um is uh that that is from Revelation, not from Isaiah, but you still have a um kind of a, an apocalyptic what's the line uh, I'm thinking of scene. What's the line you're thinking of? Yeah. Uh, um, it would be something before him day and night. Yeah. What would that be? Day and night. I don't know. There. Here's the problem with There's that. There's a lot hymn. of not not to, not to go in in a different direction, but that hymn has uh, like 14 different verses and depending upon the churchmanship of the church that sings right it, um they, they they leave some behind and they uh like so like um the second verse uh the mary verse a lot of protestant hymnals uh leave out um let's see here i'm i'm gonna find it here um in in just a second yeah. uh this is uh I, I can see the needle of our uh, yes, yes, of, yes, of yes, people yes. listening, Kirk. just like. Okay. So he, I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna share the the verse that I'm thinking of, and you maybe you can tell me where it comes yes, from. Yes, I know exactly the verse. I found it. Crown him the Lord of Lords, yep. who over all doth reign, who once on earth the incarnate Word for ransom sinners slain. And this is one of my favorite verses. Yes. Uh, now lives in realms of light, where, um, where saints with angels sing their songs before him day and night their God, Redeemer, yep. King. That's a good one. I, and I feel like that's, is that not um, referencing Isaiah uh, where the saints and angels sing? There's, is that, is that revelation? Uh, I, I, I look at the other verses and I, and it, it just looks to me like a bunch it's of revelation. references from revelation. The potentate of time. Anyway. With crowns before him fall. Um, that's, yeah. that's obviously revelation as well, but. Yep. I didn't mean to take a three minute <laughs> left turn and uh, discuss this o only to affirm that like um, we, we get a picture of 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 what this looks like, who cry to him day and night. Um, there's an assumption that that's the, that's what the life of faith is. And so the, and, and there's also maybe a challenge issued when, when the son of man comes. Will he find faith on earth? Will he find this persistent prayer? That's that is how I I'm sure there are many. Uh, and that's the thing about scripture is that there um, you, you may find. uh a number of scholars go different ways because there are potential other things that we could get from there. That's, that's what I see there, Kirk. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, um, it, it's related to the question, uh, who, who asked him the question, Lord, um, in the resurrection of the dead, will there be many or will there be few? Um, uh, I think it was just a dude, <laughs> just a dude. <laughs> like it wasn't a disciple. Like how how are how, yeah, it's like in Luke sixteen like, or something a script <laughs> like like bystander number four asks or whatever yeah bystander number four asks will, will there be many or few and it's funny um scripture does not speak univocally on this manner right like so you get texts from John 
um, like John, you know, 316, for God so loved the world um, uh, that he gave his only begotten son. And th so that's the, the famous part. And then, um, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Um, but then you have other other passages that that do imply a winnowing, and this seems to be in that category. Um, to clarify, uh, I looked it up, Kirk. Yeah, and someone said to him, "Lord, will those who are saved?" <laughs> it's just a dude. It's someone. It's not attributed to number four. Yeah. So it seems to me that that's what's going on here, and I and I could be wrong, um, but 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 Jesus is rem reminding that um, that that when he comes again. Um, that uh, that 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 it's not like um, crowds will be waiting for him, right? The um, there will be um, a remnant or whatever that that it won't be. The church will not be triumphant until all things are over, basically, right? Mm. Mm. So, um, but I, I do want to contrast. So sometimes we have these pericopes, Christopher, and um, they end up leaving us with bleeding chunks. So I think this parable has to be read in conjunction with the parable that comes after, right? Um, the Pharisee mm -hmm. oh, and the publican, absolutely. right? So you have the contrast here, the persistent widow. Um, uh, this is kind of an injunction, a, a warning. I guess you have two extremes, right? So you have a warning against weariness in prayer, like keep knocking, keep asking, right? Uh, keep, keep, battering your father's ears because you have a good father not a corrupt judge right who you have whose, whose door you have to bang on late at night but you have a heavenly father who loves you who has adopted you as as his one true son and daughter an heir to an heir to his kingdom uh, and, and so um so ask uh, as as luke writes elsewhere right ask and you shall receive um so pray pray to him bring your petitions to him um it is not a battering of his ears but it is um it is conversation with your maker it is it is the loveliness to his ears um so you have that injunction like do not be weary in praying um and then the contrast um is a warning against self-confidence in prayer right the pharisee and the publican um immediately after this right you have the pharisee who says god i thank thee that i am not as other men are um unjust um, or adulterous, uh, even as this publican, right? As this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And then you have the tax collector, the publican. I love that word publican um, in yes. King James. Uh, the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be humbled, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So, I I mean, th these are two sides to the same coin, right? Um, do not weary in prayers, um, but but always, always pray ceaselessly. Um, but also, <laughs> uh, do, do, do not pray with um, undue self-righteousness or overconfidence, right? Um, when you pray, realize you are you are uh, an unworthy sinner, um, praying to um, the the righteous Creator of all things, right? So, pray with due humility as well. So, with persistence and due humility, I think these these two probably go together. So that's the only thing I would say. Like, um, unfortunately, our lectionary not unfortunately, our lectionary has to make hard decisions and trade offs, 
And sometimes it can't um, kind of put two things together that the author surely wanted to have side by side. That, that's kind of what I'm guessing. Mm. Um, any, other, any other thoughts on this? No. Let's move on to our uh, culture segment. Yes, let's. Today, Kirk, we are going to discuss Paul Thomas Anderson's 2021 film titled Licorice Pizza. Uh, I'm sure you're immediately wondering if you've, even if you've seen the movie, um, what is Licorice Pizza? It's, <laughs> an, it's the name of a uh, record store. Um, and it, uh, I think, a defunct record store from the that 1970s. That doesn't even appear in the movie, right? It, it may. I I don't recall. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is... Uh, I. He's like a like a quirky yet um he's a quirky director who has also experienced some some real success. Um I I don't mean critical, I mean um some real uh um kind of like blockbuster not blockbuster, sorry. What would be the term I'm looking for? He yeah, like has major box office, like box office. Yeah, he has transcended both critical and like box office yep. success. While so while, he does well at the Cannes Film Festival. And yet his movies make money, right? They're not a drag on yeah. studios. Yeah. yeah. Well, also trending towards like the the idiosyncratic, right? Like he will always be that idiosyncratic <laughs> filmmaker. Um, his more known films include Magnolia, um, which uh, I, I don't know a good way of describing Magnolia. Because <laughs> um, you, you go from character to unrelated sort of character in that movie. Um, there Will Be Blood, Um was a, a somewhat a well-known one uh, with Daniel uh, featuring Daniel Day Lewis, um, and probably and, the most famous, which we will never review here. Boogie uh, Nights, bo Boogie Nights, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Licorice Pizza um, is is a is a film that we would call a slice of life. And so, uh, the first time I saw it, I was not ready. Um, I, I like to go into a film totally cold. Yeah. Uh, I never, I okay. never watch trailers. I, I want to know, like, I know if I want to watch a movie or not based on the director, this, that, whatever. And so I went in and not knowing it was a slice of life that made it a bit, um, difficult, honestly, to watch because I was like grasping for some sort of plot for some sort of kind of uh, thing that, yeah. that ties it together and struggling with it. And when and the then, credits rolled, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> the conflict's not yet been introduced. Mm -hmm. We we don't have any resolution to anything. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't know that either, but continue. And, and so it was kind of liberating um, to, once I watched it, then I would read reviews, listen to podcasts and, um, it, it liberated me um, from like looking, like assessing, you assess it a different way if, if you just are like, oh, okay, it doesn't have a plot. It is merely a slice of life that it follows these characters in their life in the 1970s um, in a few days of their life. 
And that's what it is. And um, there are parts that are unbelievably entertaining, uh, and we'll get to those um, in a bit. But uh, in essence, uh, I want to quote uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, who described uh, this movie saying uh, saying this. He said, if there's two words that make me kind of have a Pavlovian response and memory of being a child and running around, it's licorice and pizza. It instantly takes me back to that time. He added that the word, and I'm reading from Wikipedia here, Kirk. He added that the words seemed like a catch-all for the feeling of the film that go together and maybe capture a mood. Uh, would you? Would, does that make sense to you? Yeah. 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 That that um, you and I did not live through the 70s. Um, the, the movie takes place in 1973 in particular, um, but yet we can watch this movie and just appreciate. Um, somebody who like nostalgically thinks back to being young during that time, running around the valley, uh, you know, so the valley being like not at Los Angeles, but over the like, mountains in the valley, like West Hollywood. Yeah. Encino. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and and just like what what it was like uh, a summer in 1973. And, and for, for that reason, like it, it can be uh, a movie like this can be a little bit um uh, polarizing. Uh, some people might look at it and just be like, what is this? Uh, much like I feel like um, the first time uh, I showed my dad uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he was just like, what is this? Like, it just didn't con connect. Um, and I think over time, he, he's been able to, to, to appreciate a little bit more. Uh, in the same way, Kirk, I didn't live through the, the 60s, um, the way that uh, they are depicted. I didn't live through them, period but they're depicted in Apollo 10 and a half in a way that you appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. it. And um, our kids appreciate it. And yet somebody who lived through it feels something totally different from us. And yet, even if we don't understand the references, Kirk, um, it can still be uh, uh, super uh, enter entertaining and we can appreciate it where um, like characters were based on real people. And so if 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 you were an adult in the 1970s and know who Gary Getzman is, um, who starred in who's a child actor who starred in a movie with Lucille Ball, you would recognize that that um, Gary in the film um, is playing Gary Getzman and Lu that uh, I, I don't remember her name is playing Lucille Ball, essentially, but not Lucille Ball. She has a different name, but it's 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 referencing something that was real. OK, and Gary Getzman, Kirk. Did you know this? He actually started a waterbed company and a pinball arcade. Okay, I didn't. And at one time, Gary Getzman actually delivered a waterbed to John Peters' home. So, so and John Peters, who's a real person. Clarify, these yeah. are these are ludicrous and hilarious get-rich-quick schemes mm -hmm. that the protagonist, a 15-year-old by the name of <laughs> Gary Valentine, um, uh, try tries to and actually like succeeds in. And we we can talk about like the ludicrous nature of that of a 15 year old like starting yes. a water belt waterbed business business and, and like he says like with that like unironically that his mom works for him in his pub in his publicity or his uh like pub uh what's the his term mother, i'm looking for whom we never works for meet no we meet her kirk where when do we meet her uh we meet her um but you don't recognize her because you don't uh, her name is mary elizabeth ellis is the actress who plays her oh um, okay i know the scene yeah yeah okay who we briefly meet, yeah. Yeah, and she's like, I can't go with you to, like, so that's why he asks Alana, 
to 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 be as chaperone on this right. trip to New York. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, um, the movie opens with uh, oh, we should say a little bit about the casting. Um, is that the the, the protagonist of the movie, Gary Valentine, is played by Cooper Hoffman, who, yes. um. I mean, Kirk, I didn't see it either until like I looked up. I'm like, who is this guy? I, like this, I was partway through the movie and I'm like, wait, Cooper Hoffman. Like all I had to see was the last name to realize, oh, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Uh, it, it, Like it's it's the likeness is unmistakable. Yeah. Once, yep, once you see there. it much, much like you and I talked about um, uh, once you see in um, that period drama in New York City, uh, that Meryl Streep's daughter, once you like are like, oh, that's Meryl Streep's daughter, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I can't unsee it. Right. Same thing here. And so Cooper Hoffman, uh, Gary Valentine, uh, the movie opens with him on picture day at school. And he starts uh, hitting on uh, this 26-year-old or 29-year-old, it's unclear how old she is, um, uh, employee for the picture for the photography company. Um, her name in the movie is Alana Kane. And this uh, begins this friendship uh, where he has a crush on her, but like she's an adult and he's 15. And uh, and it, it kind of goes from there. He has multiple get rich quick schemes. He uh, <laughs> we have hilarious uh, kind of side things that happen where his publicity company um, is doing work for this uh, this guy who owns a Japanese restaurant. Um, uh, comedian Mont John Michael Higgins plays Jerry F Jerry Frick, who, who you've <laughs> probably seen most frequently in Christopher Guest movies, as as usually a character actor in that. And his interactions with him are unbelievably funny, and uh, I don't even know if we want to talk about those now here. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, just see it, just see it, and as you're, you'll scrape your jaw off the floor. Yeah. As uh, and I'm sure like anybody who lived through the 70s and the oil crisis, uh, the, the gas shortages and and that yeah, sort of thing. That um, was he, really interesting. How how crucial a plot point that is. As he launches into the waterbed business, suddenly like oil production or oil delivery. It's it's a whole uh, it wasn't just production. You know, it's OPEC. It's all kinds of things that um, it's supply chain issues. Right. Right. That, that drove up um, not only the price, but also like their lo long lines waiting, which destroyed the waterbed business. Because what are waterbeds made out of? I mean, they, they come from petroleum. Right. Petroleum, yeah. 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 And, and so like um, one of his last waterbeds he sells to John Peters, played by Bradley Cooper. Wearing a glorious <laughs> 70s haircut. He looks like a medieval page boy. Hey Kirk, uh, you had stopped the movie partway and, and it was right, right uh, they had rented a truck and you had stopped the movie, um, yes. and I was just like, "Oh, you stopped it there because you're gonna enjoy the next part." And like, I didn't say what was gonna happen, but like, Kirk, was that was that a a good payoff? Oh, it's amazing! And Bradley Cooper is clearly having a lot of fun. He plays basically a narcissistic <laughs> psychopath actor. Um, at one point, he's like really, really bossing Gary around, telling Gary what to do. Like, Gary, I'm going. I'm gonna leave, and this is what you're gonna do. And then he's like. <laughs> He stops and he looks in his eyes. He's like, I see you're like me. You too are a, what did he say? Not, not a scammer or a drifter. Like you're a scrapper. Like you're a scrap, like you're a scrappy street boy, just like me. I should have seen it sooner. And then he <laughs> continues lunch. Like just, just a, a real, real oddball and a real like dangerous lunatic twinkle in his eye. Like Bradley Cooper is quite a, quite an actor and had obviously had enormous fun with that. Um, 
Yeah. So that's, that's, um, there's just these weird vignettes, Christopher. He's also, um, in addition to running these schemes, right? These get rich quick schemes. He also is a, as a child actor, he's traveling across the country, yeah. attending auditions, appearing on weird TV specials that could only have existed in the 1970s. Right. Mm-hmm. At one point he and, and some other kids in pajamas on some talk show, sing a song about going to bed. Mm-hmm. Right. As he's in the meantime, flirting with an actress live on stage, like tapping her in the backside and stuff. I'm live on TV. Um, uh, and, and Kirk, and Kirk, enormously and, funny. Had we been alive during the time, like we would have recognized that, that, film that they're doing publicity for as yours mine and ours with lucille ball okay and and that was the ed sullivan show but not the you know like it was right like something it was ed sullivan comparable yeah no it wasn't yeah. yeah 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 um he has a usual table at a local watering hole <laughs> yes <laughs> as a 15 year old right yes <laughs> um and yeah, Kirk, so, the, so the it's interesting just... theme of like um human jealousy um where mm-hmm. like he's very jealous of uh that when she starts de- he's jealous of her affections when she starts dating even though like he's 15 years old right and she's possibly 29 i, I think when she says she's 26 she was lying about her age she was actually 29 and um and yet he's jealous and then like the shoes on the other foot right where there's there's a point where he shows affection to a woman and she feels jealous and right. so there's an odd like um, weird play and what, what it ends up in is, is friendship. Um, but this weird tinged friendship that, that kind of, um, you know, I mean, the interesting, uh, it's not friendship. One of the last uh, lines of the movie is yeah. Gary, Val- what is it? Gary Valentine. I love you. Which <laughs> is like only in the seventies, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. where, and, and if, if it were flipped, um, you know, if it were a 29 year old guy and a 15 year old girl that happened in the seventies. And yet today we would look at that and say, that's, that's monstrous and, and like exploitative. And, um, but that seventies were a different time. Yes. Yeah. Um, can I, can I just say a, very briefly a little bit about that? Cause that was one of the notes I wrote down. Um, this, this, uh, this is a movie worth watching. Um, just because the seventies happened and we can't forget that they happened. Um, uh, and, and um, there's a lot of, I think, pessimism and catastrophism right now mm. um, in the American discourse. And I think we need to be reminded that it has been a lot, lot worse um, previously. Mm. Um, the seventies were awful. Um, I mean, we are entering a time of double digit inflation Um uh, right now and and th- that is not fun and um and it's and the only terrifying. solution to inflation is a bad economy that like <laughs> the only thing that's going to stop that is is like uh multiple right. quarters of of non-economic right. growth yeah which, so, if you care about your investments is like ah so it's terrible. It's, but what i'm saying is it's been worse right yeah, um yeah. it was worse in the 70s and uh to uh we we right now currently have high gas prices but at least we have gas, right? Yeah, so you yeah. had a time in the 70s where they call it stagflation, where so, not only did you have inflation, but uh, um, but the economy was in recession. Unemployment. And you high had unemployment, unemployment. Markets tanking. And, uh, and, and fuel, um, with the creation of OPEC, uh, there, was, there was a real crunch in the fuel supply. Um, however, um, and I don't know if it's a result of social media or whatever, um, I, I don't think 
um, uh, America was as dispirited. America was just simply weird. I think America was high. <laughs> um, families were splitting up. Uh, kind of the uh, mm. latchkey culture and divorce culture is created um, in the 70s. Um, you have the disintegration of the American family, of urban centers, race wars. Um, you have terrorism with the weather underground. Um, you have the son of Sam. You have rolling blackouts in major cities. Um, and so it was just awful and weird. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll share uh, my favorite highlight after one of the World Series games. I think it was mm. Game Six of the 1976 or 77 World Series. Christopher, I've shared this with you, right? Um, Reggie Jackson, um, who had hit two home runs in the game, after the final out, like the pitcher catches a weak fly, a Yankees pitcher, and the camera cuts to Reggie Jackson sprinting off the field yeah. from his position in the outfield. And as he, you see a hippie, uh, you see like a like a a cop beating the crap out of a hippie somewhere behind second base and short center. Um, uh, hundreds of fans are immediately on the field, just kind of like mobbing players to get a piece of any player. And the announcers say in like great old timey announcer voice, like, and you can see Reggie Jackson, um, how he was a Heisman runner up at Auburn um, as he stiff arms some fans as he runs into the clubhouse. And he is. He's, He's running for over his fans. life. Yeah, the which is unthinkable today completely lawless within yeah. 15 seconds of the final out. And that was just America. Right. So, yeah. so, um, but if you talk to people now, you know, they'll, they'll say that. And then they also have like fond memories. Like they, they remember, you know, the weird styles and, and listening to, you know, Elton John or Simon and Garfunkel and, uh, and, 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 and the massive cars. And so it, it turned out. Okay. So it's kind of a reminder that like, America has been worse. It's not so bad right now. And mm. we can now, knowing that it ended up okay, watch it and just kind of marvel at how weird and awful everything was. <laughs> so that's that's kind yeah. of my, my my one point is like, man, this is what the 70s were like. Can you even believe that happened? Yeah. Sure. Uh, but also, um, you kind of see, uh, Christopher, where are the adults? <laughs> Where are the adults? Um, this reminded me a little bit of the way Charles Schultz um, displays kind of the world through children's eyes in, in Peanuts, right? Um, the adults are either non-existent or they're unintelligible, right? Um, Charlie Brown's teacher very famously, you know, yes. we don't understand a word she says, right? And it captures a certain something of childhood where the adults really, they're either kind of not there, they're not worth listening to, or they don't make much sense, right? Um, and the adults that we do see in Licorice Pizza, um, their behavior is inscrutable. It's nonsensical. It's childlike, but not in like a fun way, but in a scary way, right? So you mm -hmm. have that, that, that drunken scene at that watering hole um, <laughs> where uh, Sean Penn in a <laughs> glorious cameo um, kind of drunkenly wants to recreate this, a scene from a movie. Uh, this movie. So the they, Great like, Escape. Was it? Yeah, I don't know. Stagger out to the golf course and dangerously recreate the scene, and uh, Alana, Alana gets sucked into it, right? And mm, she yes. thankfully she falls off the back of the motorcycle before like it happens, and um, Gary and Alana kind of like sprint away, um, kind of in in horror, astonishment, and relief that like, uh, thank goodness uh, we don't have anything to do with that, right? Um, the only other adult behavior you see is kind of, um, like, uh, kind of gross, uh, behavior in a, um, a campaign office, mm. 
uh, right? Uh, Alana briefly volunteers for a, with someone running for. I think uh, it's just uh city council. City council, right? Which is a big deal in LA, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's a yeah. major office. Um, and, uh, and, and the adult behavior there, Alana realizes she's starting to get in too deep and, and she kind of extracts herself, right? When the candidate really actually only wants to use Alana to kind of um, avoid a, um, As a, a public beard. scandal, right? Yeah. Um, and so like all those adults behave weirdly and badly and like child, like children, but not in a fun way, just in like a mean manipulative way, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and I get the sense that like adults were largely absent <laughs> if you lived in the seventies as well. So like that, 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 that must've been kind of true. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And, and yeah. would you say, Christopher, when we were growing up, like that's part of childhood, like adult behavior is largely inscrutable and a little scary. And so I think that was kind of an interesting true life observation of the film. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I want to go back if I could um, to Sean Penn, like yeah. interaction with him uh, is, is uh, again, like, I, so Gary's trying to get Alana into acting and it's, right. it's funny, like the advice he gives her when they go to it, the agent. Say yes. Say, say yes, yes to everything. everything. Like, because, <laughs> because like, that'll get you the part and then you figure it out later. Like, so you speak Japanese. Can, yes. yes. <laughs> can you ride a horse? Yes. Yes. Cause like he says, you always have time to learn how, you know, <laughs> like just say yes to everything, which is very funny and, and very true. Um, I mean, when you actually like learn about these movies, like I'm trying to think of, um, which quarter oh uh was it what did when did vince vaughn play a quarterback was that in that does not sound familiar to me okay there there was somebody who who um was cast to play quarterback was like yeah i totally played quarterback in high school like and because <laughs> like he had like the vince vaughn energy of like oh of course he did like he got this energy. <laughs> um and the, you know they cast him and they realized this guy cannot throw a football um and but like he was already cast and it was too late to to like find a new uh find funny. someone else to play that character this is what you do in hollywood you say yes to everything all right so anyway suddenly and it's very a- american right <laughs> bluff right. my way into it and figure it out later <laughs> and um so she's uh in a uh cast in a movie with um this jack holden character who's played by sean penn and uh there's a weird like jealousy there that like he's jealous that she starts She's trying to make him jealous by flirting with him. And, and they sit down, they go out to dinner. She's trying to like partly um like learn from him, partly make Gary jealous. Um, like she has multiple intentions with this right. dinner, but then she has to realize for herself that that this Jack Holden character is just he's just um he has no interest in her personally. He just wants to tell her the war tales and have someone right. there to kind of um to kind of do that and she realizes he's not taking me under his wing he doesn't care about me and like that's really made clear when he wants her to get on the motorcycle and like basically her life is saved by his carelessness as she falls off before he crashes it and and um like that that was just gave her a kind of a a rude awakening to like how hollywood stars are is that like he was just this um narcissistic star who cared nothing for her um, right. and, and here she thought she was going to get like mentored by him. So that was kind of an interesting uh, interaction between them and, and the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, let me think. There was one more, one more point that I had wanted to bring up about it. Oh, oh, um, we are a unabashedly religious podcast, and there is a moment, a brief intersection of life and religion. <laughs> um, she uh, is Jewish, and uh, her, her her family, the actors who play her family, are actually her family. So if they, if they're her sisters and her parents. Um, don't look and sound like beautiful Hollywood actors and actresses. It's because they're not, they're real people. Right. Um, and uh, her, her father has a, like a Hebrew accent. Right. So I'm, I'm guessing that, that he is a, I, I, I didn't look this up Christopher, but, but since he's actually like, to see if he's a practicing Jew, Ma, his, his name is Mati, Mati Haim, right there. Alana Haim, Danielle Haim, Este Haim, Mati and Donna Haim are mom and dad. Um, so they sit down for a Sabbath dinner for Shabbat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and mom and dad kind of take it take it seriously. Um, and her date, uh, Lance, who's Jewish, tells dad, um, "Oh well, okay." So dad asks um, asks him to say the prayer. What is it, the Hamatzi? Um, and he says, "Quote: I respectfully refuse. My personal path has led me to atheism." <laughs> Um, and, uh, and she's furious. What's that? And she's furious. She's furious. And so is, so is he. Right. And, um, and at the end she is angry, like, like simmering anger throughout the whole thing. And she follows him out at the end and, and, and really like kind of screams at him, like you're an effing Jew. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and yeah, so like here she, she thought she found like this very acceptable guy to date. He walks in um, and, and it's just like my personal path, you know, like, yeah, it's it it's indicative of the time. But go on. Right. I, so it's just interesting to me. Um, it's it's not a it's 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 a very quietly religious point, which is um, uh, um, if you if if you are Jewish um, or, or baptized Christian, um to kind of sit and uh, sit at a table um, and, and, and say, uh, my personal path has led me to atheism. It's a, it's a beautiful and light and humorous um, ridiculing of that. Like, yeah. no, we're part of a, 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 like our family ties, we're part of a deeper story and a deeper truth. Like, and his a- atheism is in a, in a funny and light way made to look petulant and childish and, um, and, 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 and cute like he's being kind of patted on the head by the screenwriters like oh oh you're that kid who's going through the atheist phase so i just thought it was a kind of a like a like a funny little um quietly pro-religious point and then For sure. the screenwriters may not have even intended that but. sure sure i kirk um so do you know what mati is short for tell me mordecai Oh, of course, a beloved character in the, in the book of Esther. Yeah. And, um, and Mordecai Chaim, um, he uh, he played uh, for Israel in uh, the UEFA Intertoto Cup in 1977. So he's a soccer player in his day. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and, and much like Wonder Woman, he also served in the IDF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on this, Christopher? I, uh, I, I have a heart out here shortly. Yeah, no, no, I, 
I think um, that that was a fun discussion of a, of a movie that Kirk, the second time I really enjoyed the first time was a little bit head scratching, kind of looking for, you know, the pieces tying it together. Um, and the second time was just pure, pure joy. I, I loved it. So not a family movie. No. Right. What's the rated? Is it rated R? Um, very, very kind of, it would a, be, it would be R for language if it is R. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, kind of innuendo. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, but, uh, but, 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 but a very smart, um, kind of wistful, uh, joyful slice of Americana kind of that, that, yeah. that shows people warts and all. Yeah. Should we end in prayer? Let's the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Let us pray. Set us free, loving Father, from the bondage of our sins. And in your goodness and mercy, give us the liberty of that abundant life, which you have made known to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week. Next week.